Food allergies are no laughing matter. When I was back in elementary school, we had one kid that we knew of that had an allergy to peanuts. Since then, it seems that millions upon millions of people are finding out that they too have allergic reactions to food. Something as mild as a rash, or something as deadly as full anaphylaxis. It's terrifying, and as a parent of someone with a food allergy, it's extremely concerning. Today's guest saw this trend, especially in America, and decided to do something about it. So we're going to talk to him about the business he started to help stop childhood food allergies. And also, please don't judge me and my wife's extensive collection of jarred candles. I'm quite aware we have a problem. Stay tuned. Hello everyone, thank you for joining my next episode of Business Over Brews. I'm very excited because I have a true entrepreneur in the studio today, Clarence Friedman. Clarence is the VP of Strategy at SimCon Lighting and formerly, as an HBS grab, developed a company of his own, Adio, Adio, Adio Health Sciences, correct? Does that sound right? Correct. Thank you. Yes. Now that name might not mean much to you out there, but a product that they developed called Inspired Start might, especially for those new parents. Throughout that time frame, Clarence focused on developing a product that would help expose young children to controlled allergen substances to help build that allergy to, to help actually end child allergies, which is such a great idea. Personally, it means a lot to me because my son, who is now five, has a peanut allergy and we're just working now to expose him to that. And now with our new son, we are exposing him already to peanuts being six months. And secondarily, congratulations for joining the COVID baby world here. You uh, welcomed <laughs> Graham, you. I think six weeks ago, seven weeks ago, correct? That's right. Yeah, Not bad. that's right. We've got our six and a half month old, you've got a month and a half old, and I'm surprised that you're actually up and functioning as a parent, let alone breathing. I can't, I, I remember being in your seat not too long ago. That's why we need a drink, right? Exactly, well that's, and which is good, that this is a good time for us to transition to what we're gonna be drinking, and this is business over brews, but as a fellow Scotch connoisseur, <laughs> we, had to do, we had to do a whiskey, we had to do a Scotch, so I'm choosing the Dalmore 12, a personal favorite of mine. What did you bring on today? I uh, went with a tried and true uh, Belvenie 12. It's not flashy, but I think it's one of the most underrated scotches there is. I absolutely love the Belvenie, especially I think my favorite. We talked about this before. Their 14 year Caribbean cask has always been a favorite <laughs> of mine. But you cannot go wrong. Anyone out there with the with the Belvenie, especially if you're new to whiskey, I definitely recommend it as a starting whiskey, something that you can very easily get into. Um, but instead of talking all about whiskey, what we're going to talk about here is pretty much the the creation, the birth and success of this company of Adio Health Sciences and the products you were selling, which you had a company, it was successful, it grew, you had about a five-year period of this company, four-year period, and it actually got sold. And so before we get into the entirety of the, the, the program, personally, you know, to start a company, to be an entrepreneur, it's difficult, it's challenging, it's scary. Have you always had this entrepreneurial mindset? Have you always been building lemonade stands per se and trying to get customers and acquire market share? Um, how did you really get into this entrepreneurial way? Yeah, um, my parents are entrepreneurs, so it definitely gave me the, uh, it gave me, it gave, gave me the concept, it demystified the idea that, that it's, that it's possible. Um, you know, a lot of people think about starting a company as such a, far, you know, uh, such, a, such an unattainable um, task, but they raised me while starting a business. And so knew it was possible. Um, I think I always, always was going to take a shot at founding a company and it felt like the right time to do it coming nice. out of uh, graduate school before family. And just, you know, I can put in those 80 hour, uh, 80 hour <laughs> weeks without, without any, without any expectation of return. You can only do that a couple times in your life. Yep. And, uh, yeah, so, so, so yes, there was always the plan to start something. Um, and this particular, this particular nice. idea came really out of a, out of a, out of a dire need. Um, I can get more into that if you'd like, but I'd yeah, love to. So that's, that's, oh, 
that's really the next question I was going to ask, um, which is the idea itself. How did it come up? And of course, your mention of the 80 hour weeks, those are gone now that you're a father. Those, I mean, you're always on, but those 80 hour weeks, don't expect to pull those much more. Yeah, um, absolutely. So Adio uh, really was born out of the fact that one out of 13 infants get, you know, developed a food allergy. That had tripled yeah. over the last 10 years before we started. That was in 2015. Wow. Um, and it just felt like such a public health crisis. Uh, there was no discernible reason for that to be happening. Mm -hmm. The best things that people could come up with was this hygiene hypothesis, meaning people were too clean, they washed their hands too much, and they didn't get <laughs> uh, exposed to germs and things. And I, I, I believe that. I still, I, I sure. am, a, you know, I, I do buy into that. But what also created that havoc uh, of so many infant allergies was that there was, um, there was a guideline in 2010 that was published by the American Academy of Pediatrics that said, do not feed allergens to your children before they are three years old. And that made no sense to me. So before I was a sellout business guy, I, uh, I was a biochemist. Um, I was a biochemist. Uh, and so, so my, my alarm bells kind of went off and I was like, that, you know, this doesn't make so much sense when your body or when an infant's immune system is learning to do like develop and, and, and train itself to know what's a good thing and what's a bad thing. That's probably not a great time to withhold something that you sure. don't want to be overreacting to. So we thought, what if the simplest answer to this, uh, you know, tripling of allergies was just getting people to have allergens early? Uh, what if that was just it? So went down that path with a few um, scientists and professors that I uh, respect. And the consensus was pretty clear that there are geographies um, that have allergens in their diet much earlier on that just have a dramatically lower allergy rate. One of the best, one of the biggest examples was uh, Israel. So yeah. uh, it, it, a lot of Israelis feed their kids um, bamba, which is basically a peanut Cheeto, yep. and their 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 uh, incidence of peanut allergies is about yeah. tenfold lower. So wow. that was kind of all the data I needed to say this is this is a solvable this is a solvable uh crisis uh, yeah. and so you know if there was someone that was going to do something about it um they might have the background of a scientific degree and a business degree and have you know the the have the jumping off point for it. And so I thought, why not? Why shouldn't this be me? So yeah. um, it helped that I also had a personal impetus for it. Um, about three, four months before founding a DO, my, um, my cousin was diagnosed with peanut allergies. And I know for a fact that I, uh, my aunt's pediatrician was one of the folks that said, don't introduce allergens until later on. And it just wow. was kind of a personally infuriating at that point. And so we made it a mission to make sure that uh, as, as many parents that we could educate and as many parents that we could empower to do safe, controlled, early introduction of allergens, um, the better. So that was the nice. genesis. It's interesting. <clears throat> if I look at my children now, I have a five-year-old and now a six-month-old. When our five-year-old got diagnosed with peanut with a peanut allergy, we noticed it because we gave him some round one and he developed a rash, so we decided to see an allergist. At that time, in 2015, going into 2016, they said, hold off from any exposure, we're gonna test in a year and see if it gets worse. Right now it's just a rash, but tomorrow it could be anaphylaxis. So it was panic, panic, panic. Don't That's do that. It's so scary. I mean, it's it extremely scary. And that was part of what we're trying, what we tried to yeah. um, help smooth over because you can't get over this particular issue by being oh, scared. Sure. This early introduction is the only thing that was statistically correlated yeah. with um, prevention of food allergies. And, mm. um, that's a tough thing because the one thing you're scared of most is the one thing you, you might need to, to turn to. But exactly. um, that that data didn't come out until after our founding. So we were, sure. we were vindicated um, about two, three years in when things like the LEAP and the EAT study came out. But I don't need to talk too much about the no, business no, in the, general. I, the, the reason why I find it a little, not, not to say funny, I mean, not that allergies are funny, but when having that information given to us about our five-year-old, Going in literally yeah. a month ago to my new son's pediatrician at five, six months old, he said, 
Buy him Bomba. He literally said, buy him Bomba, get him exposed. A lot of that was a deal. A lot of that was us in the educating of um, physicians, pediatricians uh, in mass (laughs) that they need to change their thought process. So I'm glad. It's awesome and it's huge because now we are actually, based on the science, we are we are in control exposing both children and diagnosing to see what the actual exposure is like. Thankfully, our son who had the allergy had never been, you know, anaphylactic. They never had an anaphylactic uh, reaction. We're loaded with EpiPens. I've probably got 20 expired ones since we've had to get the panic of the EpiPens. Um, But it's interesting that just even five years, what a difference that can make on people deciding what is safe and not safe, especially when it comes to children and exposure to these allergens, you know? Absolutely. Things but move so, quickly, uh, but not in medicine. So <laughs> well, you don't want to move took a too while. fast. It, it, it changed quickly once the guidelines changed, but sure. people have been battling um, for quite a few years. Well, I can imagine. I mean, even in the medicine industry, you've got plenty of conflicting reports and you just try to go with the majority. And then when something new happens, that's a minority. It has to be vetted so thoroughly before you turn around and accidentally kill people. You know, that's people's lives are technically on the line, but uh, that's the best way to move forward. But moving in forward into what you did next. So, you know, your cousin came down with, with a peanut allergy. It gave you this visibility into something a business you're looking to start, something you're going to be passionate about. Now, baby food or te- not to actually not even to talk about baby food, because eventually you do go into inspired, uh, inspired start with baby food. But did you initially decide let's go into producing a consumer based baby food? Are we looking to create a different type of administrative medicine? Is it through injection? Is it through, you know, physician, uh, physician prescription or in physician, you know, office uh, you know, prescription. How did you decide what the medium was to expose people to this? The first, uh, the first iteration of the company was a purely pharmaceutical company. So nice. my background is in drug discovery, and um, our our initial thoughts were that this was going to be more of a vaccine model where every child would get this, uh, you know, even in the hospital, just have a certain controlled dose with certain adjuvants and make sure that their immune system was properly trained on allergens, right? Sort of out of the gates. Now, unfortunately, the medical system that we've set up in the United States really does not reward prevention. Um, In fact, almost no, almost no insurance will, um, cover preventative, uh, whether it's medications or vaccines, unless they're mandated by the U S government. So when you get like a measles shot, um, that's because the U S government says that that, that insurers must cover that, but it's left to their own devices. They're not going to, because basically you can, you could get, you could imagine a world where that was true. And because we have such a private healthcare system, you could get preventative measures on one and then move to a cheaper plan that doesn't provide it, that you don't need it anymore. Exactly. Uh, and so they, they don't get to reap their own benefits. Um, and so that's just really tough. And because that was true, we were gated out of doing, um, doing a sort of pharma approach where this was going to look more like a drug, but it ended up being the right decision anyway, because as more and more data came out about early introduction being the singular, uh, most important thing you can do for your infants in terms of uh, future food allergies, um, when that data started coming out, uh, parents kind of quickly shifted their, uh, their interests, their wants. So why remember we took a team out for, uh, what we call a dash day. Uh, yeah. we took, uh, all everybody out of, out of the office for two straight days and we stopped 100 parents on the street and we asked <laughs> them whether, um, if two companies existed, two products existed, this was a hypothetical at the time. Yeah. If two companies existed, one was going to give your kid a shot at uh, two days old um, with defined, you know, clinical boundaries, guidelines, and um, you know, basically a shot of peanut. Or mm. would you like to find it um, in a controlled, uh, delicious, organic fruit puree in Whole Foods uh, when your kid's <laughs> two years old? Overwhelmingly. 
overwhelmingly, I think it was like 98% yeah. of parents said that they would rather have sort of the, the conventional food option that was a little bit more empowering and a little less scary. Yeah. And <laughs> so regardless of the, the, the economics and the, and the, and the, the medical industries predilections, um, parents just wanted the, the more organic conventional food approach. And so it ended up being the right, right decision for a number of reasons. Nice. And so you're deciding, all right, let's go with food. Uh, we might see a cat pop in here. I apologize. <laughs> but so, <laughs> you decide to go forward with a food, something that's over the counter. So not specifically over the counter. You're not at a pharmacy to have to get this. Um, right. But you're deciding to enter the baby food market. Are you looking to produce something that is actually a baby? <laughs> Sorry, I apologize for my cat. Is it something you're actually looking to get into, you know, the baby food competitive, you know, competitive market. You've got Gerber, you've got your Infamils, you've got your Similax, you've got plenty of jarred baby foods. Are you considering them competition or are you creating your own segment? This is specifically for exposing children to uh, allergens to get them through and get them acclimated to them. And then that is it. Or are you looking to turn into a primary food source for these babies and infants? We started thinking about that a little bit later in the trajectory, but yeah. It was important not to lose sight of why we founded the company, why I founded the company, which was to help prevent food allergies. So yeah. do what it takes, be in the market, be in the industry, in the segment that you need to be in, in order to deliver that health outcome um, to the population and then kind of worry about the rest later. So sure, that's how we approached it. So <clears throat> now not that decision, like you said, is it was much later. At some point, you have this idea where do you go next? Do you get funding? Do you try and build a team? Do you build a small team to put together some sort of minimum viable product? I mean, you're developing a consumer good that people will buy over the counter. There's a lot of manufacturing. <laughs> There's a lot of overhead. You've got plenty of costs that are associated with that. It's, this isn't a software company that you can pay a developer to do something over a weekend and have something good to go on a Monday. You have a lot of planning and a lot of overhead to get together. Um, at yeah. what point did you decide, you know, was it a couple of you then deciding to go get funding or did you decide to go get funding yourself and through the funding process you were asked to bring in certain uh, business leaders? Yeah, great question. Um, trying to think back to the early days. <laughs> we, I, you guys remember sitting in a cafe interviewing, you know, 10 people a day to be my co-founder. Um, wow. But at that time, we were a pharma company. So yeah. we, we sort of bring, brought on a little bit of a team that had a, a lot more um, biochemistry focus, that a lot more deep scientific expertise. But when we started to realize that that wasn't the best approach um, and, the, and, the, and the more you know, beneficial approach is going to be the food approach, we started to shift our, our team composition to a little bit more consumer packaged goods. That really came in, in full force after the first major financing round. So first we did an angel financing round. Um, I went to a couple angel networks. I had already worked with a couple angel investors in the Boston area. I ran a small consulting company that helped them do diligence on um, Boston biotech companies. And so I knew a few of the biotech angels in Boston and uh, we put together a 250K round to help us get sort of a minimum viable product, which at that point was only helping to introduce peanut allergen mm -hmm. to babies. And uh, when we had that, we launched it, it was doing fine. And then we really had this product conceptualization and all the data, all the purchase intent data to yeah. say that when we became a multi-allergen, like early introduction for all the top eight major allergens in organic puree format, that that was going to take off. And so we trusted <laughs> the data and we went out to raise uh, a 2.1 million round. And we did so through, to, you know, just VCs, um, had a couple excellent VCs behind us, uh, <laughs> And at that time, we started to bring on more experienced uh, consumer folks who had been in the retail industry, who had designed products um, and, you know, were sort of those award winning creative types. Um, nice. And so, yeah, it was excellent team. Um, I still I still we still all keep in touch. And um I don't know. It's one of the best teams that I, that, that I think the at least the, the Harvard I Lab had ever ascended, uh, assembled. We were, were just really excited to be shoulder to shoulder. Not bad. With that angel round, you know, for the 250K, <clears throat> did you guys pay salaries 
or were you just trying to get something I together? Didn't, I didn't or? pay myself, uh, yeah. but yeah, I was on unemployment for the beginning of it. That's I didn't a have tough any insurance. One. <laughs> I didn't have any insurance that I was on unemployment. Um, so you're just being but, very careful watching where you step. Don't get hurt. Yeah, that my my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, uh, yeah. was like, just don't get hurt. Just don't do anything <laughs> dumb. And I'm oh, very okay. prone to doing dumb things. I, I rock climb and, you know, I, I put myself in high risk scenarios. But um no, yeah, that's <laughs> a little to tough. Be a little safe. Try to be a little more safe. Uh, no, we paid, we paid uh, a lot of a lot of folks. We had branding. We had consultants. Sure. We had um, employees that you know help build the uh, the productization and the supply chain and the um, yeah just the branding around it. And so that all came together out of that 250k. But it was mostly for the just singular peanut allergen. Nice. So. Not to keep us back at that, but you said you're bringing up the supply chain, getting everything in order. Are you at that point speaking to manufacturers? Where do you exactly go to find a place to manufacture baby foods for you? And then on top of that, produce such a unique product where you're adding in your own allergens. Did you work with a global firm that supplies baby foods to multiple producers or multiple vendors? Um, Did you build something on your own? You know, how did that process work? Yeah. Uh, so when we were early in the process, um, still nobody wants to work with allergens uh, because then you got to write on, then you got to write on every other product that comes out of that factory that may contain, you know, an allergen, let alone, let alone every single allergen in the top eight (laughs) allergen. Like you can imagine (laughs) anything out of that facility being like may contain peanuts, tree nuts, selfish, soy, wheat as a disaster. Yeah. So it was extremely difficult for us to find um, a manufacturer that would that would bet on us essentially because you got to learn to make the product together. You mm-hmm. have to have all the batching instructions and, and create you know uh, standard operating procedures together. And yeah. uh, really, people wouldn't wouldn't bet on us. So we called over three hundred um, manufacturers and basically got about three to say yes on a wow. good day. And, uh, one ended up being our, our partners and, um, we're very grateful that they, you know, bet on us and I, and I think it worked out for them. Did they, do they produce products for other, do they manufacture for the brands? They do. Nice. They, do. they manufacture for other brands. They set us up That's with cool. a separate section of their manufacturing plant, like a little <laughs> side cool. room yeah. to start. Yeah. Until we could, until we could get, gain the capacity for the whole major line. Nice. I mean, yeah, you get to a point where. If you're doing that, every product they put through has to have all yes. those warnings for every man or for for every brand right. that they do the manufacturing process for. So that is a big commitment. That's pretty awesome. Now, at some point, you know, you're manufacturing the product. Um, even before you started manufacturing, did you have samples you tried? Did you make anything at home? How did you create these? <laughs> yeah. For you know, were you guys just at your home in your kitchen mashing up apples and now ah, here's a shrimp? You know, yes. like, <laughs> like absolutely. There's, what is it? There was absolutely. one that was like pear and cod or something like that. Uh, I think I've ever written to it. Is it? Um, yeah, I, I don't have. There's, voice. A, no. there's a there's a tough one in there. It, it is, was mango it is, and cod. Is, That's what it was. I found it, it in is my mango. notes. Mango. Yes. Um, so we needed to do that because uh, whitefish is actually um, one of the top eight major allergens. So is shellfish. So we had some debates about how we would introduce those foods sure. early on, um, even though they don't sound awesome. But we got to do it, right? So. <laughs> Uh, we tried to, we, we worked with the flavor house to, uh, formulate some of these, but the first iterations we did ourselves. So mm-hmm. we bought the purees, we bought the allergens from different sources. We mixed yeah. them, we put different flavorings in them. Um, and we just, just had these matrices. We'd go into the kitchen, we had a communal kitchen, um, at the incubator <laughs> that we were working out of mass challenge awesome. at that time. And, um, we just had these arrays and we would every you know, every day, the whole team would go and just kind of score which ones they liked better. And then eventually we brought them to parents and then we brought them to yeah. a professional formulation. Um, you know, there's people who specialize in flavoring things. <laughs> and course, then yeah. we got those, we got those, those back and we did more consumer tests uh, with parents and eventually we got our, our, our formulations. So you guys all tried them, right? Even though it's baby food, you guys all had to eat baby food, right? Yep. (laughs) Every day, every day for months. So at what point, because, you know, cash is tight. Do you guys realize where it's like, I don't really have money for lunch, so I'm just going to rip something out of the 
fridge at the office and just have some baby food for lunch. <laughs> or was peanut, that was that the, a no go? The, the apple peanut is always just delicious. That was nice. a go to. So it was the tree nut, the, the banana tree nut. So yeah, That's I've had cool. those before for sure on a on a on a tight day, but not because of. At that point, we were probably off to the races, and, and nobody was sure. worried about their next meal. But it was still <laughs> sometimes you forget lunch. <laughs> yeah. Jeez. And now, <clears throat> I'm assuming at some point. Someone in the room had to raise their hand and say, hey, we're about to make a product that potentially is supposed to put someone in the hospital at some point if they have a real bad reaction. And that one is terrible for it's awful for the child, awful for branding, awful for for your PR. And then potentially there are lawsuits behind that. How do you get a company like that insured that, you know, if you go to like a certain theme parks, they'll make you sign these waivers every time that say, you yeah. know, death and dismemberment, you won't hold us liable, things like that. You can't exactly have your customers sign something like that every time they buy a package of your product. So, right. I mean, at what point when you decide, you know, when you discovered, you, you know, you are technically setting out something that could really hurt someone or put someone in the hospital. How do you I mean, handle we, that? We, we knew the risks. We knew the risks. I, I knew the risks at founding this company. Yeah. The problem is somebody has to do this. Somebody sure. has to accept that risk of helping to introduce allergens because, again, it is the only thing statistically correlated to preventing food allergy development. So yeah. somebody has to do this. And Gerber won't do it. Any of the big guys won't do it because they have too big of a brand portfolio that's at risk and they're – risk tolerance for um, for any new product. It doesn't even have to be health related, but any new product is just much, much lower. So we knew that we needed to, um, and that was part of the value proposition of a deal. And, and yeah. frankly, I think it's a value proposition of startups in general is risk arbitrage. You know, sure. a bigger company can't go do something new because they have too much at risk, but a small company can try it. And if they fail, it's, you know, they've only failed with so much. Um, yeah. Now, to answer the real question of, of you know, being a potentially dangerous product, um, we have three major things we thought we thought about. Um, the first two are, are, are boring and unimportant, and the last one was the most important. The first the yeah. first one is legal liability. That's sure. it's boring, but you, you just have to know what you you're you're covered. So of course. We we talked we talked to many, many, many lawyers. Uh, and and essentially our liability is the same as peanut butter. You know, we're telling you to introduce allergens early, we're helping you do that, but we're not telling you that do this in the absence of a medical professional. You're Understood. gonna introduce allergens. At some point you're gonna introduce allergens. And We'd like to be the first, but yeah. you should consult a physician before you do that. Of course. Um, and so we, 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 we crafted language around introducing allergens and making sure that you spoke to a physician before introducing any new foods. Mm -hmm. And then if you experienced reactions um, that looked like this, this, and this, that immediately call a healthcare professional. And so that's, that's boring thing number one. Uh, boring thing number two is to have a PR plan. Um, mm -hmm. So there's the blocking and tackling of having prepared – you know, statements and action plans. If, um, God forbid somebody did get hurt and they, um, they, they didn't, they didn't properly understand the risks. Um, yeah. and so we had that all in place. And now the third is the most important and, and that was really just the most important, which is having excellent customer success, having yeah. excellent customer support. So we made sure that all of our service times for picking up the phone were less than five minutes, no matter what, nice. no matter That's what good. time of day, forever. So we would do that and make sure that we were with any patient that had any rash or any, any reaction um, as quickly as possible. And we had a playbook of helping. So w where were their nearest allergists? Where is their nearest hospital? And, and making sure that we, to the degree that we told them not just to hang up and call a healthcare professional, but when yeah. they called us back, um, that we could actually help them down their path. Now, awesome. I remember all of us were up at night, you know, thinking about this because <laughs> nobody, I mean, we're good people, right? We don't want to we don't want to have a family on Inspired Start succumb to um, an allergic reaction that that that's just terrible, right? But of course. So 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 having that top of mind um, is just important as a cultural company value is written right into our values. Of course, the, the you know the the family comes first, and um, 
how that manifests is that we were just scared all the time and it's a company killer and you know, we don't want it to, to harm individuals. Now it actually happened. The first time it happened, the first time somebody had a severe reaction was about six months into the launch of inspired start. Uh, the parent called us, um, with their child's in, um, you know, allergic shock, anaphylactic shock. And, uh, we immediately told them, of course, hang up and call 911. Yeah. They went to the hospital and, um, they called us back the next day. We helped them link up with a nearby allergist that we tremendously trust. And they got on a path to, um, a a treatment plan for, for their child's newfound allergies. And so, um, that was sort of the core of it. But mm-hmm. what was the most important of all of this was that the parent posted a, an Amazon review the, that, that same day, the, the day after, um, the day after they went to the hospital and it was a five-star Amazon review. They said that, uh, I've never felt safer than with <laughs> Sent my kid start. to the hospital, five stars. <laughs> yeah, that was unbelievable. So, you know, they said, awesome. we arrived at the hospital. When we arrived at the hospital, we knew exactly what had happened. Yeah. We knew that and I brought the pouch. We brought the pear egg pouch to the physician. They said, oh, it looks like your child's allergic to egg. And, and they said, we would not have known that. We would not have been able to do that. We wouldn't have been able to identify that in wow. any other food. And there's egg in everything. So yeah. they were judicious enough to introduce egg for the first time with our product. And so they knew exactly what the allergic reaction was to. And they had a controlled small amount while they were watching their child. And they said that their their journey through this process they imagined other scenarios of introducing allergen without them knowing it or in yeah. a higher dose without paying attention. And, and they sort of shuddered to think of what that might have been like um, That's awesome. because this child has a severe reaction. So they said uh, in their review that there's a small list of uh, companies that they trust and Inspired Start is at the very top. And so that was incredibly meaningful to us and incredibly validating. And um, it was just – it was awesome. Uh, you know, you, 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 you go to sleep every night being like, you know, is this, is this the right thing for the world? You, you know, statistically it's the right yeah. thing. You know, everyone should introduce allergens, but, um, to be that, that entrepreneur, to be that company, all of us, everybody on the team felt that burden of, uh, you know, doing the right thing for each family individually. So tough yeah. tension, but, uh, you know, it, but it worked out. It energizes you to keep you going. You know you're doing the right thing. You know you're helping people. And that's that's a huge deal on making sure, especially early stage in a company, to get that motivation going to keep you fighting for the place. <laughs> yeah. um, now, you mentioned, of course, building out a great customer success team. So at some point, you had to start hiring a lot of people. Now, uh, you know, I'm assuming it wasn't your first round of funding. Most likely after your second round of funding, that's when you started really building the team. What was it like? Where did you start hiring? What departments did you did you build out first to make sure that this would be successful? Yeah, I have a very simple hiring philosophy, and yeah. it is to ask every single person you know who the best person they know is. Not and then bad. you just find a seat. And then you just find a seat on the bus for them. Yeah. Um, and so when you get a little bit more uh, when you get a little bit into the more senior positions, obviously you have to have some dedicated, discrete experience. Um, sure. but that's much later by the time you really need, uh, you, cause you can solve most of the other stuff with advisors and consultants. You know, you, you don't need to have done everything on your own. Um, but it's a great way to build leadership and a, and a pipeline of excellent leadership to just get a players on early on yeah. and then let them grow into the different roles. Because in a startup, you have no idea what their career trajectory is going to be. Nobody does. You know, we had, we had, we had somebody, uh, work for us, um, named Juliana. She came, she was out of, she's basically out of college. Uh, she started basically as an intern for us. And then within three years, she was managing our whole grocery, uh, distribution network. Awesome. She just went through almost every, she went through everything in marketing. Um, and that was sort of a a microcosm of everyone's growth through, um, through the company because you just get awesome people and not only will they figure it out, but they will grow into the roles that you will identify as a need later on. No startup will know what they look like three years from today. That's just, 
you can't do it. So your philosophy, at least my philosophy was, uh, to just get incredible people. So that was kind of how we went to go fill out the seats. Um, I'm fanatical about talent. Uh, there's a, there's a, there's a person on our team who, uh, who's used to joke when I met them, I was at a Northeastern co-op career fair. I would still, I still went as the CEO to tell the co-op career fairs. And I, (laughs) one of the, one of the years I stood up on a desk in the middle of the auditorium and just yelled about what our company was doing and the fact that we just raised some funding and that we were going to change um, allergies in the United States. I just yelled just to a whole, you know, a whole gym of a couple thousand people. And then we had a line of people. We had a line of people at our desk and uh, the person who ended up uh, we ended up choosing as our as our Northeastern co-op uh, was just such a rock star. Just so <laughs> awesome. Um, he, he he stayed with us for many many years, um, and uh, yeah, he just remember, he was like I wasn't I wasn't even here. I was getting lunch. He was like I was getting lunch. I wasn't even going to the career fair, and then I had to come take a look at what you guys were doing. <laughs> so I think you all because be of your yelling. About, yeah. So I think you just have to be fanatical about excellent people and. Yeah. Um, you know, just complement with skill sets, either from senior leadership that you do bring on eventually or with consultants and advisors. No, I love that. Ask people who you think are the best. You know, that's, that's I think a the West Coast. Men, I think the I think the West Coast mentality is different, by the way. I think West yeah. Coast mentality is like hire somebody for 350 K right away and just <laughs> get just get the best. Right. Go poach the director of product, you know, get get the iPhones you know, product manager. And you're like, you can't, I mean, that, that's, uh, East coast startup mentality is different. It's more yeah. like build it, build it, build it, grow the team, build it in more of an iterative fashion. So we yeah, adopted we have, that school of thought. We, we constrain our budgets a little more <clears throat> than they do out on the West coast. Um, that's why we don't end up with something like Juicero, but that's a different story. Juicero is a hilarious company. I don't know if you know it. They just, they raised like a billion dollars from every major VC and then they died in like a year and a half. It was one of the dumbest companies ever. Anyway. No, never, but it sounds, I never heard, I guess I love the name, but it reminds me of, what is it, Quibi, which was like this Quibi a content, a, content a syndication that's a, platform. That's a current one, so I can't bash it too much, but that's a tough, that's well, not going well. Yeah. It's currently gone. They actually are. Oh, it's already gone. Uh, yeah. Oh. I, I think earlier this go. week or last week, they announced that they're shutting down the platforms, but that is a complete different topic and different episode. Um, but as I lose my train of thought here, you know, you're talking about building out the team and whether or not this actually would have come out before or after, but you have to figure out what markets you're going after and how you're approaching those markets, how you're actually bringing those products to market. Now, people are buying these consumer goods. Are they, you know, you mentioned at one point you could pick these up at a Whole Foods, but there were a couple of different channels you could go with, correct? You could work directly with physicians. You could work directly with pharmaceuticals. Could you sell direct to consumer? Uh, or is it worth buying shelves, which is expensive, in grocery stores? Um, how did you think of what approach to go? Did you go a little bit with all of them? Um, and theoretically, would that approach have shaped the difference, uh, the different skills you would have hired in your team? Definitely. We did a lot of, um, channel analysis, spreadsheets, qualitative conversations with folks and arrived at the fact that, um, we needed to have physicians on our side. We needed to make sure that pediatricians, knew about us and made sure they endorsed us, but that it was economically um, infeasible to sell through it physicians and mm. to convince each and every one to either sell or specifically endorse the product. Yeah. A physician sales force is extremely expensive and you can't have the margins of a baby food company and expect to reach every single pediatrician with boots on the ground. It won't work. Um, likewise, uh, if you're just a baby food on a baby food shelf, it's not enough because you won't get noticed. You don't have the awareness. And ultimately a lot of parents, most parents are going to ask their physician if this is a good idea. So you need a combination of reach and awareness. And so Mm -hmm. our awareness, our awareness came from working with physicians and working with some mom bloggers and influencers. And then our, our, our reach and distribution came from grocery 
and e-commerce. So we did a lot of Amazon. Um, we did a lot of our revenue on Amazon. Nice. And um, almost none direct to consumer. We we did almost nothing on our website. I think it was like four percent wow. um, at the end there, uh, just because people don't people don't buy. Uh, consumables unless it's on a subscription model like from directly from a a website but um, for a lot of reasons parents preferred to just buy things on Amazon you already have your credit card loaded it's such a low purchase price we had like $25 for our our purchase price of um, an 8 pack and it was just not worth it was yeah. not worth going to a website trying to find it for cheaper or something. It just, yeah, this is going to help prevent kids, a kid from having allergies. Like, you know, one hand checkout, of course. So <laughs> we did a really, yeah, one of the, one of the tests that we did, and I, I talk about this um, in other places sometimes, but uh, we did this test where we handed some, we handed every parent a card. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is my scientist's roots, right? So everything <laughs> has to be an experiment. So we tested, uh, we tested whether Amazon or our direct consumer website would be our, our, our best channel for uh, digital selling. And so we, we gave everybody, every parent a card. Yeah. And on the front of the card it said, you, can, you have 15% off on our website. Um, go here to redeem the code and, um, you know, here's a little bit of inspired start about inspired start. And at the bottom, we also had um, available on Amazon Prime logo on the bottom right. Nice. Uh, it was like 95% of parents purchased on Amazon. They didn't even wow. go to the website. As soon as they saw that logo that said available on Amazon Prime, they That's just went they straight were. to Amazon Prime. Nice. Forget the 15%. And we could make that 15% all the way up to 20%. Still, nobody went to the website. It's just, Very interesting. It's so funny that the purchasing behavior, I mean, it's just, yeah, people are people on Amazon. Um, so that was the distribution for our e-commerce was primarily Amazon. Not bad. And it makes you wonder almost, you know, you look at the approaches of Groupon in a way where a certain discount amount, whether it's dollarized or percentage, has to be over X number for them to actually take you up on the offer. Um do you think there would have been a percent off that people would have finally tripped over or would it have to be 40 percent, 50 percent off for <laughs> yeah, people to get from the site? Yeah, something unprofitable yeah. for us. Yeah, and the, yeah then you're not making any money. Something like 40 percent off, yeah. But it was already unprofitable for us. This, we actually do an entire um, HBS business case on this. Uh, you, I'm sure you could find it or download it somewhere. But I've um, read it and I will link to it on the, in the comments oh, that's in, the, in, in the description um, of these videos. One of the, not to give too much away, but one of the difficulties is the direct-to-consumer shipping. So when you yeah. ship something yourself across the country, it could cost you almost $8. Um, and if you're shipping a $25 product for $8 to a consumer, it's just not worth it. That's but a lot, if you yeah. can ship, if you can ship in large, large pallets to an Amazon warehouse and Amazon can deal with the last leg delivery to yeah. a consumer, you actually both make more money. So we made nice. higher margin when we sold through Amazon than we did on our website, even at the same price. That's um, not bad. Even when we gave Amazon, you know, their 20% margin and paid their marketing fees and whatever, just because they shaved us, they saved us so much money on shipping. So That's right. the last and, mile and makes so- such a huge difference in how, how successful your product's going to be. Not only that, but just on the margins. So we're talking about your distribution. Using Amazon was fantastic to get your product consumers. Now, looking at the market, what are you looking at for competition? Are you theoretically going up against your Gerbers and your Infamils like we spoke about? Granted, more Gerber, Infamils, powder-based versus your jarred yeah. foods or other packaged pouch-based foods. Pouch-based is fantastic, by the way. They're so easy to, to move around with. Kids can feed themselves. <laughs> Who are you considering competition? Is it these other baby food markets? Or are you, are you considering yourself something that is more supplemental? You give, you know, people or parents will buy these to give to their kids once a week or once every couple of days yeah. as opposed to a source of nutrition. You know, what was, who were your competitors at that point? That changed during the life cycle of a deal. Um, yeah. But I would say the most important competitor we had um, throughout all the phases of the business was non-consumption. So we were hmm. we're against people who don't know we exist. That's our competition. Yeah. There's so much market size out there. You know, it's four million births per year, and we estimated that maybe a couple hundred thousand, you know, of those families knew about early introduction, even, even at the end, uh, even, even in 2019 when we were required. So it, there was so much left to go. 
<laughs> to, to educate people on the fact that this existed and they need to go seek this out. So market yeah. growth, talk about like growing the pie or getting a bigger slice. We really needed to just grow the pie. So that yeah. was our main competitor is just awareness campaigns. And sure. so we didn't really pay too much attention to what other folks were doing. Um, when it came to product, when it came to product, um, product building, we of course kept tabs on other folks. So <laughs> towards, uh, towards 2016, uh, we had another major competitor come out, uh, before brands, they mm-hmm. had a powder based solution that introduced all the allergens at once to your infant oh, for wow. a variety of reasons, for a variety of reasons. I was, n- I think it's not a great solution, but well then how do you figure um, out which one did it? Exactly. <laughs> right. Um, 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 uh, yeah. Uh, um, uh, yeah, exactly. And so um, we felt as though we were a superior, uh, we were a superior product from that perspective. We were also sure. organic um, and existed in grocery stores where they went for a more direct to consumer approach. Mm-hmm. Um, but nothing to detract from them. They, I mean, we all have the same goal in mind. We all are trying to introduce. We're all trying to solve this public health crisis of allergies. So, yeah. not to. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're all kind of on the same team because a pie just really had to grow. Um, mm-hmm. But so them and then a couple others, uh, I'm sure that you could look up that do early introduction now, but we were completely alone for a year and a half. Nice. Um, <clears throat> nice so, blue so, ocean so, to work in. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, but we also had to help convince these first physicians that this was a good idea. We were, I was told many times that we were just going to kill kids, yeah. get out of my office, you know, like don't. What are you doing? That's not the regulation right now. The regulation is to wait. Why are you talking to me about early introduction? So we had to do a lot of that wave breaking. Yeah. Um, but the competition in the middle was kind of, you know, major. There's like the, the, the extra competition, the people who also joined the space specifically to introduce allergens. I yeah. would say at the end, we started to think about Gerber and Happy Family and Plum Organics as being our competition because sure. they could do this as well. Um, they could go into early introduction. And so because we were proving out the market for them and proving that this was not only safe, but that parents wanted to buy it, then we were creating competitors because we were demonstrating the market need. Uh, and so yeah. at the end, we started to think about them more as competitors, but kind of when you start generating success, people smell blood. They want to, they gravitate towards it. That's how it works. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you brought up an interesting point. You know, of course, awareness across the consumer base to parents is, is a huge part. But again, getting buy-in from a lot of physicians, I mean, how often? Would you even have an idea of, or an estimate of what percentage of physicians are on board with early intervention versus or early exposure versus, you know, we kept stats approach. on that. Yeah, we kept we did surveys, um, periodic surveys on on that. And when we began, uh, when we first launched Inspired Start, it was about fifteen percent of physicians said that um, they are actively for early introduction. Um, only fifteen percent. Only fifteen percent. Um, wow. That's a tough and battle. What was what was more scary is that fifty percent were. Um, actively telling, it was like, actually it was like 55% actively were telling parents not to introduce allergens until three, which wow. then there's like the middle ground who, if, if some, if a parent came in and they said, is this okay? They would say, yeah, sure. Whatever the parent said. So they were kind of, yeah, they just didn't have a recommendation. But what was really scary is that so many, so many physicians were actively saying the opposite of what needed to happen. Um, and then towards 2019, um, we saw uh, 65% were actively saying introduce allergens. So, really big swing. That's huge. Just over a, geez, yeah. just over a, a year, years, two years. Yeah. That's yeah, like that's to see that change grow. And I feel like, especially in the medical field, to see a change like that happen over just a couple of years is astronomical. Um, but of course, you do have data from other countries showing, you know, valuable, accurate data that you can't really compat against based on what you're doing in the U.S. versus, like you said, I think in Israel, a lot of European countries as well tend to introduce allergens like peanuts and whatnot into children's diets very early on, um, which is insane. I, I was still mad. I was still mad that 65% was as high as we'd go. I mean, all the data was there. 
I, why wouldn't a hundred percent of physicians have read all the data and tell parents to introduce allergens? It was infuriating. And maybe that's just my, you know, the, the, the just me as an individual, but, um, yeah, it was frustrating. I know it felt like a big win, but there's still, you know, 45% of physicians out there not telling parents yeah. about something so statistically obvious. So, but old yes, habits die we hard. A lot of progress. You know, that's true. Old habits die hard. Yeah. And the thing is, you'll even see now, and, and the whole joke about eggs, and I remember growing up. 85 forward hearing different studies eggs are good and then eggs were bad and then eggs were good again but then just the yellow yeah. was bad and it was so inconsistent it drove a lot of distrust in consumers and a lot of these food studies that a lot of them just kind of went numb to it it would stop listening to new introduced information no matter how accurate or compelling it may be um people honestly hear these studies and think, well, next year it'll be disproven anyway. Um, mm -hmm. But that's just, again, there's another argument to how much promotion and awareness and benefits are brought into trying to get studies that get good headlines to help boost a company's bottom line who are making pharmaceutical products. Again, a whole other discussion and a whole other video. Um, mm -hmm. But let's talk about growth. Again, the company started in 2015 and uh, ended up being sold in 2019. What was growth like? Were you seeing, you know, just marginal growth, uh, huge spikes, a good we hockey had stick? Step function. Yeah, we had pretty step function growth because yeah. the way distribution works, when you get, you know, Whole Foods distribution or you get um, Target distribution, you know, you're unlocking 10,000 doors sometimes. And yeah that's just such a step function. So yeah, we, we had, um, we would have six months where sales would be just like ticking up because Amazon was, you know, selling more and, and we would sell more direct to consumer, you know, a couple stores that we had piloted with and places like New York. I remember these, the small, these small stores we started in New York, West side markets. And we'd see like small incremental, um, shifts, but then, we would unlock, you know, 500 new grocery doors and uh, 2,000 grocery doors, and it was just such a big change. So <laughs> the step functions were it was it was more um, it was more jarring. We would have to organizationally get ready, um, you know, from a supply chain perspective, from a marketing perspective, from a channel management perspective. At each one of those inflection points where a big retailer came on, yeah. we we did need to to change and upgrade. You know, I know, I know you can't get into specific revenue numbers, but looking at growth, what was the growth like for the organization? Were sales increasing, you know, five, 10, 20% year over year? Uh, what did you guys define as success? For us, we, you know, like any good startup, we had uh, specific revenue targets that we would set out at the beginning of the year and we would execute against them. Um, for us, it was not smooth revenue growth though. So for for companies that have large um, contract sizes, so maybe they're SaaS companies, uh, for us it was distribution-based, uh, meaning when we signed up like Target or Whole Foods, it was just such a step function change to our revenues because you just have uh, you know instantly 7,000 new grocery store doors that you're available yeah. in. And so it wasn't, um, the, the, the work that you put in wasn't always correlated to the revenue growth and the customer excitement wasn't even always correlated to revenue growth because yeah. it was just so distribution um, oriented. So uh, I remember some of the, I guess the biggest the biggest moments for us were when we got the first big grocery store, mm -hmm. which was Whole Foods. Nice. Um, we're super excited when we got, I remember when we were sitting around the table and we, we, we found out that we got put into Wegmans. We got, <laughs> we got cross country and Wegmans. That's cool. Um, yeah. And we just, those were the big step function changes for us. Uh, so, so, so in terms of growth, I remember, you know, we were like six or we were basically like seven people in the company wow. when we were doing like 300k in revenue like just six people and not even yeah. yeah and then you know when we started pushing past like a million um we had raised new financing and we brought on a lot more people and we were more like 25 nice so we were still really lean um and then you know the higher levels when we started signing up the larger grocery stores um we 
we added more people and, and grew the team more, but we were more focused on getting that distribution and then ramping up organizationally after we won, because I think a dangerous thing a startup can do is to increase burn rate on the hopes that it will pay yeah. off. You kind of have to, it's slower, but you kind of have to, um, you kind of got to get the deals and then scramble is my experience. Um, you get the deals and then scramble operationally <laughs> rather than be <laughs> extremely prepared for the sales that you sure. win. Um, I know that's a little bit backwards, but otherwise backwards. you get into real trouble. If, if you don't, if you don't have that perfect fit or if something takes a year longer than you thought, then you might just be dead. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you actually do get that good well, news. Well, you'll run out of, you'll run out of capital and runway before you even get a chance to fulfill the orders for the new customer that's come in. Yeah, and grocery stores are the worst offenders of capital, by the way, like capital flow, yeah. because they won't pay you back for like three months. Oh, geez, that's tough. They just, they won't pay you back for three months. Is that so part of their agreement too? Yeah, so you'll ship to them and then they won't pay you back for the order until three months later. And sometimes, I mean, you were, I remember one of the first orders that our distributor, um, our distributors are the ones who sit between you and the grocery stores. They might service many grocery yeah. stores. One of the first ones um, that bought from us bought like 200k in inventory. Wow, not bad for a startup. For a st yeah, but for a startup that just raised 2.1. So this was at our series. This was our seed yeah. round where we had 2.1. We just raised 2.1 million. We hadn't raised the rest of the money yet. Uh, we raised 2.7. No, we raised 3.1 uh, like a like a year later. But when we raised the 2.1, uh, um, we we got this like 200 something k initial order. And at first, you have to buy all the materials. Oh, yeah. You got to buy everything. You got to let up, set up all the manufacturing for this. You have to prepay for all the work at the manufacturing site. Oh, yeah. And then the dis the distance between the cash cycle between outlaying your cash. Um, to it getting through to the grocery store, then the 90 days for them to pay you back is $200,000 you just don't have access to. And you that's like 10% of the money you just And raised. that's got to be, it's, I mean, you're probably looking at almost five months from fronting the cash to being paid back yeah. before you see any of that money. More sometimes, but Jeez. yeah, absolutely. I mean, <laughs> that to me is absolutely nerve wracking. Never mind, do you increase your production or do you work with what you have and just delay the order delivery? Um, and again, the 200, was the 200 retail or wholesale? Was it what they... Wholesale. Oh, all right. That's, so they're seeing a good chunk of change on their side too from that. Yes. Distributors are... And the, yeah, distributors are, take their chunk on to top of the grocers. take their oh, chunk. Yeah. yeah. Groceries are hard. It's a hard channel. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, before we wrap this up, I got two last questions. And the second to last is at some point, People started looking at your company and they started seeing it was very interesting and doing well and a great idea. And eventually that led to a buy. And so what was that process like? I mean, what, you know, someone just gives you a call and goes, Clarence, I got a couple million bucks, you know, I want to buy your company, you know, you know whatever it is that they end up yeah. offering. What's it like? Yeah. Um, well, for us, we knew that we were going to aim for a slightly earlier exit. So five years end to end is quite short. Very for a startup. short, very short. Um, so we knew that out of the gates because of a number of reasons. One, personally, we all knew what we wanted to accomplish, which was to change the public sentiment on allergy introduction and to create a beautiful product that helped empower people to do that. We kind of accomplished that. I mean, we, we did accomplish that. We, once we got to that moment where we, we had done that, we thought, you know, we don't really want to be the ones that take this nationally, internationally to such a level where it becomes a distribution and marketing company. Yeah. But we were excited about the product development. We were excited about the changing the course of, uh, you know, al you know, allergen increase in the United States. We weren't as passionate about just top line growth after the product had been developed. Yeah. And we also weren't as passionate about developing new products because while there were other places we could go, you know, gut health, immune health, um, brain development, baby foods. There are a lot of ideas that we had and we had in the, in the works, but none felt as, as real and none felt like they had the same 
crisis that we were helping to address. And so we knew that this was probably going to be better in someone else's hands, uh, meaning they would pay more for it than we should just raise more money and build it Mm -hmm. more. So this was a good inflection point once we demonstrated our sales and the market sentiment. So we got to a point where we were at our series A uh, and we're thinking about a series B and um, we had been speaking to some of the larger players like Gerber and and Danone and folks. And uh, one of the, um, one of our own strategic investors, uh, Staller Jeans Greer, who um, was an investor of ours since the seed round, um, they ended up stepping up and, and, and bringing a competitive offer. Nice. Uh, they were more of a pharmaceutical approach, but they saw what we were, what we were doing and they saw the value in the brand and in the, um, in the patent architecture and they wanted a foothold in, um, food allergies. And so <clears throat> what we could provide to them was this growth and this new market access and, uh, the patent architecture. And, um, ultimately, we had a discussion with a number of bidders and uh Jean's career ended up being the most aligned with um, our company values and with uh, just the bottom line. That's fantastic. So last two questions I want to ask. One is if there was a chance to do something different that you think would have grown the company exponentially, what would you have changed or what did you learn starting this business and going through? This is your first real entrepreneurial push into such a large company. What's something you think you would have done differently that you will make sure you do in your next venture? Yeah, um, there's so many there's so many mistakes you make throughout That's the, the point. Uh, throughout the journey. Yeah, that is the point. Um, I would say the biggest thing that we should have done earlier is this idea of the um, dash day, mm-hmm. the going out and speaking to 100 customers and presenting a hypothetical scenario of what the world will look like in two or three years. So we didn't do that 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 iteration, that like chess yeah. game of what the what the world will look like in three years for too long. We, we basically wasted two years. <laughs> not wasted, so long. We, I mean, everybody thinks it could go faster. Of course. We really, for a year and a half, I'd say we were banging on the drum of the pharmaceutical approach. We were, uh, we, we made a product that just didn't sell very well when we first did just a peanut allergen. And, um, we just should have spent more time speaking directly to consumers and building exactly what they wanted. We got caught up in what VCs wanted and what the pharmaceutical industry wanted. We got caught up in like the economics of it because you talk to any venture capitalist in the world and they're like, we need recurring revenues, (laughs) lifetime value, we need subscription model, we need direct to consumer, we need to engage the medical community and be the the you know the 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 industry leader when it comes to um, all the endorsements that are possible and that just wasn't true. Yeah. It, it just maybe that was that was the, the the that was the the direction that another company chose and they did not do well. Interesting. Yeah. But but we should have gotten to that point faster where we realized hey, let's just ask customers and then deliver a product that delivers value to them. Um, It sounds so obvious when you say it, but when you get caught up in these pitch decks and a VC is like, I'll give you a million and a half if you make this a subscription-based company, it's so hard to say Exactly. Well, when you need the capital, yeah. And and, and we, the the seed round was basically blown on doing the pharmaceutical approach and like kind of just not thinking enough in advance about what the world would look like once all the data came out about early introduction. Um, and so if I had to do it again, which I'm sure I will, um, but for any other entrepreneur out there, I would encourage you to fast forward. If you and other players in the space, um, are all where you are today, where do you think you'll end up in three years? And are you happy with your market position when you fast forward, when you hit that fast forward, are you okay with where you end up? And if not, then you've got to change what's core about your business. Um, 
And that was an exercise that we just didn't do. It almost killed us. Um, but I'm really glad that we ended up doing it and we just almost did it a little too late. But it's, fa- I mean, most businesses don't make it. You found that opportunity to, to realign yourselves and go in the direction you wanted to, which is fantastic. A lot of companies don't have the opportunity to do that. They're too busy chasing the seed route funding and keeping their investors and their board members happy. Um, so it's yeah. a fantastic opportunity. You had the chance to do that. Now, the last question I do want to ask you is I'd love to know what it felt like for you to walk into that Whole Foods or that Wegmans and see (laughs) your product, see what you've been working so hard on for two years. The first time you see that product on a shelf that you can literally, you know, you could always pick it up and touch. You've had them in, in, you know, in your, in your, in your offices, but to be in a retail store in a grocer and actually touch it and see shelf space. What did that feel like? Excellent. It was a uh, fruit of a lot of hard work from everyone on the team for so long. The first time I actually saw it on a, on a shelf um, was through a video uh, by our one of our brand um, ambassadors. So we, we, we hired um, a bunch of mothers who wanted some part-time work uh, for a brand that they were really excited about. But um, they working hours, are, first, first of all, big problem out there. Uh, just mothers returning back to work, part-time work is just hard to find. Um, and so we had an awesome person on our team named Jess who, who just realized that this was something that was a need. Anyway, we had a, a whole array of brand evangelists that were part-time working moms that were so excited about us. They were so evangelical about our product. Jess was your CMO, um, and, 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 correct? Yeah. Yes, that's right. Um, and so, uh, one of those brand ambassadors was at the grocery shelves of Wegmans and they were taking a video of the first time that they or any of us had seen it on any shelf and they were so excited and they were just, the camera was shaking on their phone <laughs> and everybody back at the headquarters, you know, we were all just like, oh my God, it's really yep. there. It's so exciting. But we all just fed off of each other's um, excitement and what what was so what was so heartwarming for me was that we all we were all excited about it together. It wasn't one person's journey. It wasn't one single entity's. Like it, w- it wasn't like um, a manifestation of like any any particular thing. It was just everyone's hard work <laughs> and everyone's excitement. And like you could tell it from the shaky cam um, of uh, of Liz, the brand ambassador at the time. It was so <laughs> awesome. It was just a really great moment. So yeah, I, I remember that very specifically. Very difficult to, uh, to forget. I mean, it has to be. It's such a rewarding, all that work. It's it's like almost like watching your kid take their first steps, which, scary enough, it's going to fly by and you will be seeing Graham do this. <laughs> it's going to be, yeah. you're going to think back, wow, we had this interview. He was just a month and a half old. Now he's a year old. He's going to be saying mean things to me soon enough. He's going to be taking the car out and then I have to worry about college. So... Clarence, I, I, I don't know how to thank you enough uh, for coming on the show. It's been an absolute fantastic interview. It was awesome just hearing the Thanks story. For me. It was, I mean, just to have that full from from conception to sale in a five year span is almost unheard of. It's such a short span to take an idea, not only something so powerful that you can really get behind that you're actually helping people. This isn't like, oh, I'm making a post-it note holder that goes on the side of a laptop screen, which was an actual product on Shark Tank. And I will actually link to that below because that was absolutely (laughs) hilarious if no one's ever seen that. But to make something that's actually helping people in helping fight children's or child allergies, you can really get behind it. It's a powerful brand. It's a pro- it's a powerful message, and you've done you you can at least know you've done some good while you're doing this entrepreneurial venture. So, Clarence, thank you so much. I can't wait to to thank chat you. with you again soon enough. And if you're watching now, please by all means give us a like and subscribe. If you have any questions please comment as well. I reply to every comment that you guys leave out there. I love talking to the audience, so please let us know any questions. And if you have questions or suggestions that you'd like to have us bring onto the show, I'd love to hear them too. Thank you so much. Clarence, have a good night. Cheers. This episode is sponsored by me. I sponsored this episode because I paid for everything. I paid for that lamp. I paid for that camera. I paid for that tripod. I paid for this fill light. I paid for this laptop. I paid for this microphone.
You know, I might have actually stolen the microphone. Every penny I save goes into this channel. All right, why is every light on in this house? We're not made of money here, people. So please help me out and subscribe to the channel. 71, not a chance. Look, every facet of this channel is financed through my own pocket. So every subscribe, like, and comment, I personally appreciate. And I will reply to you. So please subscribe and help me out. Appreciate it. Listen, people, we are not made of money. If you are cold, put on a sweater.